morning. It is good to be here. You know, last week we um, commemorated All Saints Sunday and celebrated the gift of life that we find and celebrate through the lives and remembrances of the saints who have gone before us. And, and now here on the Sunday immediately following All Saints, we begin this, well, we begin to hear this lection about the resurrection. It's a powerful passage. It's, it's the hope, it's, the, it's the, the claim that the Christian faith holds on to. It's critical, this notion of the resurrection. And so here we have in this passage, we have these Sadducees who they, they do not believe in the resurrection. They are very, they're, they're, their definition of, of faith and of, of religion was very tight and defined. It was limited to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the law of Moses. They did not look at anything else beyond those five books as law, as scripture, as having any full merit. Now they would debate the poets, they would debate the history in the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament, but those writings in the Old Testament, beyond the five books, did not carry the same weight. They were not, quote, unquote, Scripture. Neither did the Sadducees believe in angels or spirits. They were a tightly defined group of people. Typically, they were of the aristocratic, priestly class. They were very wealthy, and they were tied to the temple and the worship within the temple. That was their connection and a very tight connection to the Jewish religion. And they found themselves at odds with other groups, whether they were the Zealots or the Pharisees or, or any other group. They would find themselves arguing and debating and at odds with any number of people. Anybody who would begin to usurp power, authority, position. Anybody who began to question or put at risk their power and their position. So here we have this setting in, in Luke chapter 20. And when Luke writes his gospel, he does a beautiful job of of telling the story. You know, earlier he has Jesus entering into Jerusalem in this in this parade of sorts as a conquering king, but a different kind of king. Not the king that comes in on a war horse, but a king of peace, a humble king. And there's a, a crowd of people who gathered up to see this, to witness and to shout hallelujah and hosanna. They were there. And whether the Sadducees were there or not, they heard about it. They were aware that something different and someone new and possibly dangerous, had entered the city. One of the first things Jesus does after entering Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke is he goes into the temple, onto the Temple Mount, and he sees all this happening there, the, the, the exchanging of, of coinage and money to move from Roman coins to temple coins and to buy and sell animals for sacrifice, and he, he begins to clean the place up. My friend used to say that he was going to turn this place into a car wash. Well, that's kind of how I envision what happened 
on that day when Jesus went in and began to turn over the tables and just rouse people up and get them out of the way and begin to declare that this is the house of prayer, this is the Lord's house. And this was all about showing that something different was coming on the scene. That God was doing and revealing something very different. And then after this, we have Jesus teaching there on the Temple Mount in these porticos and steps and, and courtyards of this huge and magnificent Temple Mount. And people began to gather, his disciples, his followers, people who were curious, and certainly Pharisees. And, and then there were Sadducees who were there, who were, this was their home turf, this was where they lived, this was, this was all about them. And all of a sudden, here's this guy coming in, talking about all kinds of things that they did not necessarily agree with. This is the only time, the first time, that we hear of the Sadducees in the Gospel of Luke. And we can hear how he introduces them. Here are a group of Sadducees who approach Jesus. These are the ones who do not believe in the resurrection. And they ask him this question. What if... You've had those questions before, right? What if... Well, that right there tells you that there's probably going to be a hard answer to give. Because no matter what you say, you can't answer the what if. Because the what if doesn't happen. What if there are... A woman married as a man, and he has six brothers. And according to the Moses, the law of Moses, each one of these in succession of these men that she marries are go childless. Now, at the end of life, when this woman also dies, whose wife will she be? What if this happened, Jesus? What would happen then in this resurrection? And Jesus seeing the ruse. One of the questions that comes to mind is we're not really sure if the Sadducees are attacking Jesus, if he's the real target, or maybe it's the Pharisees who are the target. And he's just being triangle, triangled in to this debate. But either way, in this instance, on this occasion... Jesus aligns more with the Pharisees who do believe in the resurrection, do believe in angels and spirits. Jesus aligns more with them. And he gives them this beautiful answer. Well, the resurrection presents a different dynamic, a whole different paradigm. It's not going to be like here, like we have life now. The resurrection is going to change all of that. Where there is no need for marriage, there's no need for bearing children because we will not die anymore. Well, that just kind of probably upset the Sadducees. That's a crazy answer. But then he goes a step further. When we read the last couple of verses in this pericope, Jesus says, even Moses agrees with the resurrection. When Moses says that at the bush, at the burning bush in Exodus, that he encounters the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. All being used in the present tense. Telling Jesus telling the Sadducees whether they want to hear it, 
telling anyone who wants to hear it that God, the God revealed at the burning bush, the God revealed to Moses in the wilderness is the God of the living and not a God of the dead. God of the living. For God, Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac are still alive and in the presence of God. And God is still the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac. Now how can it be without life after death or life after life? And this begins to shut down the entire argument of the Sadducees. Because he's laid clear that the resurrection is different. It's different from the life that we have grown to understand and that we live out here. And it's different in the future. Because God is a God of the living. A God of life. And those who have this faith in this God, the one true God, have life forever. Well, we hear a little else from the Sadducees. But it, asks, it begs the question of us. What difference does all this make? How does it change the way we live today? To have an understanding and a hope in a life after life or a life after death. A life in the resurrection. There's one of my... One of my favorite sports movies is a movie called Eight Men Out. Have you ever heard it? It's also a book written in 1963, but it was made into a movie in 1988, and that's how I catch up with my literature, is to wait for the movie. And this movie kind of details... Have you heard of this movie before? Is this... Un- okay, well, you need to see this movie. It's one of my favorite sports movies. Eight Men Out is the story of the 1919... World Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds. If you're familiar with your baseball history, you know that the Chicago White Sox in 1919 became known the Chicago Black Sox because of the Black Sox scandal. They were one of the best teams, if not the best team ever fielded in baseball. They were the heavy favorite for the World Series. Their starting pitcher had won 27 or 29 games in the regular season. He was unbelievable, unstoppable, had like a, a less than a 2.0 ERA, earned run average. He was incredible. They had shoeless Joe Jackson. They had the best team in baseball. They were heavy favorites to win the World Series. Until the gangsters in New York and the gamblers of Chicago get involved and begin to buy out players to fix the World Series, to throw the World Series. That's what this movie follows. One of the interesting things in this, in this movie is what happens not, not only with these players as they begin to live lives that are less than, well with less integrity. They betray their team. They betray... Well, they betray the sport. They betray themselves to play less than they are capable. 
The other thing that happens along the way is it begins to kind of seep out in the circles of gamblers. They begin to hear that there's a fix. The game's been fixed. The White Sox are going to throw this thing. And so the lines of betting begin to change. And the long shot is no longer a long shot. The Cincinnati Reds, their, their line begins to look, well, you're not going to win as much money. This was not a good thing for the gangsters and those who were fixing the World Series. Word was out. And people began to change their bet. They began to change as the line changed. And before long, the bets were almost useless. And it begs the question of me, as crazy as this may sound, to look at this, at this event in, in 1919 and how it affected people's lives, gamblers' lives, players' lives, owners' lives, sports fans' and writers' lives, it changed the way they lived by just knowing how the end was not going to play out. And that begs the question of us. is how do we live our life? How do we change our bet, so to speak, when we too know how the end is not going to play out? That the worst thing that happens in this life is not the last thing. Death itself is not the last thing. But life continues because we have this faith. Faith in the God of life. That's a powerful faith that we hold to. That's a hope that changes the way we live our day-to-day -day life. Because our future has changed. In Romans, Paul speaks to this very point in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and beginning in verse 31, where Paul writes, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul, a good Pharisee, a good Christian, a wonderful evangelist, leader of the church, understood and proclaimed the message that the faith 
God, who is the God of the resurrection, the God of life, changes how we live. It changes everything. Because we know how the end will not happen. It does not end with death. And without the fear of death, we can do all kinds of things for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.